More than half a century after families in Syracuse were displaced by a highway built through the city, state and federal funding is making it possible to tear down the elevated roadway, creating access to new development opportunities. But how that land is utilized is a point of contention in the city of Syracuse. For more on the future zoning issues and how they connect back to the treatment of people of color in the city, as well as the experience of other upstate cities, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Lanessa Owens-Chaplin, Director of the Racial Justice Center for the New York Civil Liberties Union. Welcome back to the show, Lanessa. Thanks for having me. So generally speaking, what are some of your concerns about the zoning changes approved in June by city officials for land that was once really undesirable or inaccessible due to the elevated highway that's now being taken down? I think my general concern is the framing that the city officials are using to justify the redesignation of that neighborhood. Previously, before the passage of rezone, the neighborhood was zoned as a residential use which is actually its current use, right? And so we know that the community is primarily renters and owners of single family houses and apartments. 47% are affordable housing. And what the city did is they looked at areas that were blighted or underperforming or under-resourced, and they redesignated them to be a part of the central business district, essentially mixed use, commercial district use. The problem with that, though, especially in the footprint of ID1, is that gives developers untethered ability to develop as they see fit in that community. And so although right now that neighborhood is residential, serving mostly low-income Black residents, when the community grid is developed, that land will become much more valuable and we'll see real estate rent increase in that area dramatically. So do you want to see the zoning for this area to be limited to residential opportunities, or is there a pathway for mixed use, but with certain safeguards that you want to see? We want safeguards. And speaking with community residents and speaking from our own independent research, we understand the importance of having mixed use development, right? People want to live in a neighborhood that they have things that are accessible through walking or biking. So this community has expressed the interest to be able to walk and get a cup of coffee walk to get their hair cut, walk to a tailor, walk to the grocery store. Right now in that neighborhood, there is no access to barbershops, hair salons, coffee shops, grocery stores. And so there is a need in that community to bring more resources. However, it has to come with protection, right? Because what we know is with new shiny development, everyone wants to have a walkable neighborhood. And so it makes it attractive to more affluent residents in our county that will then increase the the prices. So yeah, we want mixed use, but we want those protections in place to make sure the community stays affordable and the residents who've been living there, bearing the burden of this viaduct for over 50 years can continue to live in their neighborhood now that it's going to be an upgraded, nicer community. And it's my understanding that as part of the city's rezoning effort, there's a requirement that uh, new apartment buildings with at least 20 units have at least 10% of those units go to affordable housing options. This would be for residents with below median incomes. Is that enough of a protection? Should the percentage be higher? How do you think about those sort of carve-outs for affordable housing? We've been working with the city for over three years to try to create a requirement. And so that was a compromise through the advocacy of the NYCLU. We've submitted comments to the Neighborhood Business Development Department and also the city officials 
2019, in 2020, in 2022, and then most recently in 2023. But I do want to clarify some misinformation. There is no requirement in the current zoning land use plan for affordable housing. The 10% for 20 units or more is an incentive, and that is it. The developer has the option to fully opt out of that incentive at no cost to them, but they may lose some benefits, right, in terms of like tax abatements, et cetera, if they fully opt out. They have another option, and that is to pay the city a fee for not opting in to the incentive. And then the final option is to take that incentive on and do the 10%. So just to be very clear, there is no requirement for affordable housing in the rezone plan. It's simply an incentive. And frankly, 10% means two apartments for every 20 apartments built is not nearly enough affordable housing to address our housing crisis in the Syracuse area. And it's certainly not nearly enough to accommodate the over 3,000 residents that currently live in that footprint. In addition to that, there is no information about how many buildings in the city currently have 20 units or more. That's something we've been asking the city for for several years, and we haven't been able to get that information to even see how much the incentive will certainly impact development. So I don't think it goes far enough. There is certainly more they could be doing. There are certainly some really good examples of what could be done in that area in terms of providing real affordable housing. But most importantly, it does nothing to bring equity back to the residents who lost so much during the original build. The way to do that is really to prioritize the residents who live in that footprint. Well, sticking with the threshold for a second, though, is there a percentage that you would like to see? And coming to that issue you talked about in terms of housing that is covered by this requirement, should the requirement be more broad and not just cover, say, subsidized housing? So two parts. What should the threshold be and should it be more broadly applied? Yes. Yeah, so I think the threshold should be 30% required affordable housing for any new development over four units and above. And that's a requirement, not an incentive. And then we also would like to see a community land trust. And that is one way to ensure that residents who live there will have some ownership in the community in which they reside. And it's also a way to make sure that land remains affordable regardless of what type of building is on the land. So the land we've been talking about primarily seems like it is land that is unused or underutilized at this point. What about land that is already occupied? Are there any concerns you have about the city's plan for that land or any issues that you're worried about, specifically as it pertains to, say, gentrification? Yeah, so you're right. Our focus has really been around the land adjacent to the I-81 viaduct, but certainly the rezone plan in general is problematic and pretty regressive compared to what other states are doing, certainly states that claim to be more progressive. Some things that we need to tackle as a city is our segregation crisis, right? And so we know that Syracuse is one of the highest segregated cities in our nation. We know that our schools have some of the most segregated borders in our nation. Zoning laws really play an integral role in creating who and what lives in those communities. And so the rezone plan really was drafted with a blind eye to how can we ensure communities become more integrated how do we ensure communities become more affordable and accessible to all of our residents? One of the biggest concerns outside of their failure to require any affordable housing 
is their failure to really address exclusionary zoning. Exclusionary zoning simply means that single family use housing is the only allowable type of housing in that area. And it was one of the tactics that we can tie directly to race-based policies to prevent low-income minorities out of communities. By doing that, what zoning laws did in the past and continue to do through our rezone is require a certain amount of square footage and a certain amount of parcels of land to be owned. And so in Syracuse, when we took a survey of our city, there are areas that are still zoned, even currently under the new rezone laws, as single family exclusionary zoned land, even though they operate much different in real life. An example of that is like Eastwood. If you're familiar with the Eastwood neighborhood in Syracuse, it's a very diverse neighborhood where most of the homes through special permit have been redesigned to be multifamily homes. However, under the current zoning plan, they're still labeled exclusionary, even though they don't meet that criteria. So the approach to the zoning laws were very regressive and maintain a very segregated society in Syracuse. As you think about your options moving forward, if the city is unable or unwilling to take on the changes that you're looking for in the zoning rules, what other options do you have? Can you turn to state officials to supersede local zoning decisions? Are there avenues in the courts? What can you do? Okay, so here's the thing, David. Most of the common council members that we've spoke to have recognized that their zoning plan is problematic. They recognize that there's missing some key equity pieces in there. They recognize they don't adequately address the affordable housing. We used to have one-to-ones with every single legislator in that office. We even had a training for them on zoning. Uh, where we had specialists come into the city and talk about this very issue. And they recognize that there are clear holes in this document. However, they said they had to pass it anyway, and they would amend it in the future. That's extremely problematic for us because we don't know who will be in office in the future, and we can't rely on an entire system or structures of how people are going to live and where they're going to live based on who may or may not be in office next year. So there was a recognition that this is problematic. There was a recognition that it needs changes, but there was also a recognition that they had to hurry up and get it passed without any real justification on what the rush was. So I think that's why the New York Civil Liberties Union um, is now asking for the New York State Department of Transportation specifically to maintain control of the land that will become available during the removal of the I-81 viaduct. Um, And that's for the purpose of creating an environment where the DOT can ensure the land will be used for affordable housing and to meet the needs of the community in terms of mixed uses. Um, To answer your question directly, we're still looking at all of our options in terms of what's next um, since the rezone has passed. And so nothing's off the table, but we're still considering how we can kind of overcome the passing of the rezone bill. So when you think about this issue more broadly, How do you think about balancing the need to grow and create new opportunities while also maintaining the culture and character of the neighborhood? Because it seems like at points, those two interests can be at odds with each other. So is there a perfect way to do that? Or is one side of those equation always going to be a little heavier and and win out and make the other impossible? You know, hopefully what we've learned from history is we cannot 
build off the backs of people. And I think that's kind of the same model that we continue to do, where we make this argument that we need to increase economic development because there are larger needs. However, at the cost of whom? And so we're thinking about the city of Syracuse specifically needing to increase their tax base, needing to increase their revenue base, but on the backs of who? What we cannot do is allow cities, state government, federal governments to build up economic structures on the backs of black and brown people. We have a long history of doing that. And I think we need to be extra careful when we're thinking about having conversations that do not include equitable measures. Because what we know is when we leave people behind in our economic growth, we end up in the same spot. Because the question still remains, these folks are Syracuse residents. Where are they going to go when they're priced out of their neighborhood? Are we going to create another crisis? Will we have a homeless crisis? Will families be removed from each other, right? And displaced from their community? Like, where are they gonna go? And that's the question that no one can answer when we're thinking about gentrification or displacement with the lack of affordable housing in the rest of the county, Syracuse being the hub for affordable housing in our county, if they lose that, where are they going to go? And so everything is connected, right? When we talk about crime rates, when we talk about poverty crimes, we talk about poverty offenses, when we talk about family regulation, children being ripped out of homes, when we talk about exposure to unhealthy toxins, having quality affordable housing is essential to bring up the entire county, to bring up the entire morale of the of the region, to be preventative in terms of preventing crime, preventing poverty, keeping families together. Quality affordable housing is at the base of all of that. So I understand there's a balancing act and need for state and local governments to increase their tax revenue. However, it cannot happen on the backs of people because what we're gonna end up doing is spending that money on the back end anyway. Maybe we have to open up more shelters. Maybe we need more legal representation for people who are now committing poverty offenses, right? So I think we need to be mindful and look at this in a real comprehensive way and ensuring that people have the at least the foundational needs of quality affordable housing. There should be no reason that people who live in this in the city of Syracuse who have a full-time job cannot afford to pay rent. And that's exactly what we're seeing happening here. We are getting intakes and we are hearing from families who have two working parents and still cannot afford rent in the city of Syracuse. And so there's a desperate need for affordable quality housing and there's opportunity to do so, we just have to prioritize it and understand that it's for the better of the entire county, not just those residents. Well, finally, is it possible that if you get what you're looking for in the zoning process, that ultimately the city is going to miss out on potential tax revenue? And by not maximizing revenue that could be reinvested in the city, a city that you know, has had a dwindling tax base in the past and has a need for investment in major services, is going to miss out on a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity by essentially being too cautious with its development. Is that possible at all as an outcome? I think that, no. I'll say no. And I'll say that because Syracuse is a blossoming city. Um, I, the, the most recent census data suggests that we are actually increasing in our population. We have major companies coming here like Micron that will certainly bring in a wave of resources, a wave of jobs, a wave of new, of new folks looking for housing. We have Syracuse Surge, we have Blueprint 15. We have a ton of projects that are coming 
along in Syracuse that will bring resources to our community. So I do not think that 24 acres of land uh, will make or break the city's pockets in terms of depleting resources. I think we need to be making sure that everyone is coming up with the ship, no one is left behind, and this is the way to get that done. Well, we've been speaking with Lanessa Owens-Chaplin, Director of the Racial Justice Center for the New York Civil Liberties Union. Lanessa, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.